Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. This episode is brought to you by Mike Young, the Makeover Master. If you feel your business image might be costing you money, influence, power, and respect, then head over to makeovermaster.com to discover what their complete brand makeover experience is all about. Go check it out right now because everyone deserves to look their best. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. Now, we all go through pain, and it's something everyone will experience in their life, some ways more than others, and it comes in, it, in, it appears in form of physical and emotional pain. It may go away for some easier, but others it may be chronic and hard to cope with. My next guest is a licensed psychologist who specializes in helping people cope with physical and emotional pain to help them get on track. So he goes in, he deals on a daily basis with people who are going through struggles in their life and helps them learn the fundamentals on how to get through that. So really excited to have him on the show. Dr. Brian Bushman, welcome to University of Adversity, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been nice. Uh, this is like my first time doing a podcast, so I'm very excited. Oh, awesome. So, uh, so yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So how about you just give us a little bit of a, a brief little intro about you know yourself, how you got into this, you know the kind of things that you you know led you up to doing this, and we can kind of just go piece by piece with that. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, you know, the part of the reason why I'm doing this and I'm excited to be able to talk with you is uh, I spent about eight years writing a book uh, called Becoming Okay When You're Not Okay, uh, where I wanted to capture uh, what I've been doing with people and how I've been trying to help them uh, in psychotherapy. I think that, you know, I do this, it took me eight years because I'm doing this on the weekends, um, writing it on the weekends. I'm not a full-time writer. I'm a full-time psychotherapist. Uh, I primarily work with kids and adolescents, but I also work a lot with adults as well. Um, and I, I think as far as kind of what inspired me to write the book and what got me to where I am, uh, the first thing is I think I've seen patterns both in my life and in the lives of my patients that have created problems. Um, and that really kind of cuts across diagnoses. Sometimes we get too much into the whole diagnosis thing of, of what diagnosis this person has or that person has. But I wanted to, to help uh, people identify patterns in their life that create suffering. Um, like any self-help author, I wanted to prevent problems for my readers so that they could be able to, to grow and, uh, and be able to do those kind of things. In psychotherapy, you can either prevent problems or you can just play cleanup, essentially. I, I think this is an idea that goes back to Freud, which is the catharsis idea that if I come into therapy and I just vent about my problems, then that will make everything better. Now, I think being able to connect with somebody else is, is what we call a necessary but insufficient condition. What that means is that, you know, somebody needs to feel heard and understood, but then they also need to change patterns outside of the therapy session. So that's one thing I think inspired me to kind of do this work. And the second thing is there's a lot of overlap among religious voices. You know, we live in a very, um, there's a lot of conflict. And right now, I think it's good to find how religious voices and voices from wisdom traditions actually are similar. They use different words, but there's a lot of similarity there. But third, probably the, the most important reason why I spent the, the time and the effort writing this book is no one ever tells you how to develop acceptance, right? In our society, it's just code for get over it. Like, uh, and I don't think that's what Buddha or Jesus or Muhammad or anyone else really had in mind when they were talking about acceptance. Um, Plus, in our society, uh, it's very much geared towards fixing things. Now, I'm not opposed to fixing things, but if we get too uh, set up on that, it puts us on this almost commercial treadmill where we become good little consumers and not really peaceful or, or happy or contented persons. So uh, to the purpose of the book, why I, I did what I did uh, was for those three things. One, to identify and hopefully prevent some patterns of suffering. 
Uh, second, to find common things that cut across religious traditions. Even if somebody is not religious, then that is fine. Um, and then third, to give people hopefully a step-by-step guide they can use regardless of their theoretical orientation, their diagnosis, to develop acceptance. Um, and, and hopefully the book is able to, is able to do that and, and help people in that way. So do you specifically focus on different, like, what do you, what do you find to be common? Like anxiety, depression, addiction, like, you know, what, you know, what is the common thing there and what is it you focus on specifically? You know, that's, it's such a great question because one of the reasons why I kind of did this book is all the publishers wanted me to focus on one thing. They wanted me to focus on just anxiety or just depression or just chronic pain. And in psychology, you've got splitters and you've got lumpers. Okay. Splitters try to like separate everybody into their own little like box. I'm more of a lumper. I think that 90% of the diagnoses that are in the DSM are caused by three three main pathways towards suffering, which we might talk about a little bit. So whether you have addiction or depression or anxiety or relationship problems, I think that there's some things that we can, we can learn because we learn these things from the different traditions. And the way I think of it is, to answer your question so I'm not completely dodging it, I, I, I primarily work with people with anxiety, addiction, and chronic pain. Um, and I think that those three conditions are good examples of how we need to use and utilize acceptance. Um, it, so another way of thinking about this is acceptance and change are along a continuum, okay? And you have to be able to do both in order to be able to do either. Otherwise, it's very difficult, difficult because you get really focused on, I got to change, I got to change, I got to change. And you're never able to really uh, embrace the wisdom of the serenity prayer. You know, God grant me the wisdom to accept the things I can change, change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So I think being aware of these different pathways is, is, is important. So we don't just get so focused on the diagnosis that we, we miss the person for the diagnosis. And so I, I'm hopeful that the, that the book will help to kind of cut across those different things because I do think that it can apply in a lot of different ways. Right. Very, very interesting. And, and it's, it's, I like how you're, you're kind of talking about the religions and how they, there's a lot of similarities when it comes to what they said, but different, you know, and it's, yeah, they just, they just use different words. The messaging the is there thing. though. And I'm hearing that more and more, the more I sort of wake up and understand things, Right. You know, and, and it starts to make sense. You know, it's well, like- we, we have a big focus right now in society on uh, division, uh, how things are different. We're, we're, our society has become more splitter focused. And I think it's time that we lump, that we start looking and cutting across these different um, religious divides or political divides that we have right now. And I'm, I'm hopeful that some of the information in this book will, will help to do that because I think we need to be able to listen to each other. Yeah, no, for sure. Like in, as far as what you've noticed, um, what are some of the, what are the, some of the ways I, like people in emotional stress or physical pain, like what are some ways that, you know, that they can cope with it if they don't really even know what's going on? You right. Know? Like they, they may have it, but you know, they don't really understand how to deal with it if they do, you know, what are some simple things that they could do? Well, this is a good question because every, most of my patients come in asking basically that they say, all right, give me some coping tools. Tell me how to deal with depression, how to deal with anxiety, uh, what have you. And you know what? I, I feel the same way. I want to be able to do that, uh, to, to be able to, to do that as well. The problem with it is, it all comes back to what you're feeling at the moment. See, one person's good coping tool is another person's crutch. One person's nice way of coping is another person's addiction. So what you have to do is you have to have an awareness of what you're going through at the time for you to really know what's the effective way of coping. The three main paths of of suffering that I talk about in the book that really cuts across diagnoses is first, People try to avoid their pain. So think of somebody um, basically trying to uh, do the Heisman pose, trying to like push away 
the opposing tackler of a football team. That's what we try to do with what we're feeling inside. Is we just want to push it away. We want to just la 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 la. Don't don't pay attention. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to go there. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the avoidance path of suffering. And a lot of times, people with anxiety or with uh, certain pain illnesses really get into that. Uh, the second pathway, the second thing that people do is sometimes instead of pushing away and ignoring what's going on inside, imagine instead I take my hand and I put it right in front of my face, right? Now I can't see anything. I can't see you really well. It's like swallowed up my perspective. So I really dwell on my pain, dwell on the difficulty that I'm going into. And and the third and final pathway is clinging. It's it, So it's imagine that I take my hand and I I clasp really tightly on something I like, like that second bowl of ice cream. Okay. And I can't let it go. So those three pathways, pushing against pain, getting lost in pain or dwelling on pain and grasping for pleasure. Those are the three pathways that cut across both Judeo Christianity and Eastern traditions like Buddhism. So let me go back to your original question, which was an awesome one. How do you deal? Well, it depends on the impulse you're having at the moment. Okay. Let's say that I got somebody who uh, their way of coping with it is watching cute cat videos on YouTube. All right. Now that might be fine. Nobody out there, even if you're a dog person would say that watching cute cat videos on YouTube is a bad thing. But let's say that that person wants to avoid or pushes away wants to avoid talking with their spouse about something hard. Should they watch cute cat videos? Probably not. Now, if they're about to go off on their husband and they're stuck here, then watching cute cat videos might give them a way to get some perspective. And that may, so back to your original question, which is, is this, and I realized I went on a tangent there, but the thing is here, here, here's, here's the summary. When you want to run, you need to stay. When you want to stay, eat that second bowl of ice cream, you need to leave. When you want to lash out, you need to figure out a way to dial it back. And when you want to collapse in on yourself and shame, you need to learn a way to speak up. Mm. But you don't have to run a marathon. I know a lot of maybe your listeners is right now are like, oh, crap, I can't do that. Don't let that intimidate you. You can start small. You don't have to do something huge. But every coping skill, whether or not it's good or bad, to use that terminology, is based on the impulse you feel at that moment. So if you want to stay, you want to like relive some pleasure, you probably need to figure out a way to get out of there. It, It goes back to that kind of thing. And so that's why, look, anybody who knows how to operate Google can do a Google search on what's a good way to cope with depression, anxiety. But the real thing it comes down to is you got to know where you are. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times my patients, when they're asking me, well, what's a good way of coping with X, Y, and Z? What they're really asking me is help me be numb. Help me not feel, help me shut off this emotional pain that I feel. And I don't blame them for feeling that way, but you can't cope with what you don't acknowledge. And I think that's where all the wisdom traditions of our meditation techniques come into play, if that answers your question. Yeah, it's good. We, I like tangents. I like when people go off on tangents because I'm the same way. <laughs> well, well, then you'll like me because I can, I, can, I can do that with the it's best. It's great. You just got, you know, I love just letting it flow. And so you, you mentioned something about acceptance. Now, what does that mean to somebody when you say acceptance? And how does that tie in with like self-love and self-compassion? <laughs> right. Does that help you deal with your like problems, like how does that all tie together? Like what does acceptance actually mean? Well, first of all, the second part of the book uh, describes the first part of the book is about suffering, how we create our own suffering, how we basically shoot ourselves in the butt for lack of a better term. I mean, life is hard enough as it is, you know, we get older, um, you know, we have kids that make decisions we don't want them to. We have chronic pain. But, but one of the things that the Buddhist tradition talks about is first and second darts of suffering. Okay. The first dart of suffering is what life just does to us. I mean, we just get older. We have body aches and pains. Bad things happen to good people. But then the second dart of suffering is, is the damage that we do to ourselves. By the impulsive way we respond to our pain. So like if I have a fight with my wife, for instance, 
that's bad enough. That's pain. But suffering is by is what I do with that pain. And what I do with that pain sometimes is I want to push it away and I want to say everything is fine, honey, and not talk to her, right? Mm. Or I get really lost and pulled into my self-loathing and self-despair and I think about how everything is horrible and I do things wrong. Either one of these pathways is going to create additional suffering in my life. So what is acceptance? Acceptance, and I don't know if you'll be able to see me, if, 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 if the pathways are we don't want to grasp at pleasure, we don't want to push away the pain, and we don't want to get lost in the pain, acceptance is this. It's just an open palm approach, which is why when you see the Buddha so often, he's sitting in a meditative stance with his, with his hands open. You know, he's just, he's just holding it with some self-compassion. Now, it's really important to note that self-compassion doesn't mean that I like myself at every moment of the day. You know, there's that old crazy saying out there, you can't love somebody else until you love yourself. Well, I don't know. I'm not always in love with myself. Sometimes I can, you know, do some stuff that I, I, I'm not too proud of. But self-compassion means you're at least, pardon me, you're at least willing to be able to acknowledge what you're feeling and try to understand the pain rather than, than trying to judge the pain. And judging the pain sounds like this. Oh, no, I'm horrible for feeling the way I do, right? Yeah. Or it's saying, well, I can't feel what I'm feeling. So if acceptance is not doing either one of those and it's not getting the pain, it's just, hey, here it is just noticing it. And there's been a lot of scientific studies that suggest that if people can just have the in the moment ability to say to themselves something as simple, and this is going to sound crazy to you because it's, it's just so simple. If they can just say to themselves something like, Hey, right now I'm feeling angry right now. I'm in pain right now. I feel grief right now. I feel horny right now. I feel like having a beer. Right now, I feel the X, Y, and Z. We can cut distress in half just by that kind of acknowledgement. But we don't do that. Here's what we do. We say, oh, right now I'm angry, and I must be a horrible person because I'm angry. Right? right. Or right now, I am angry, and I shouldn't be angry because good little boys don't be angry or good little girls don't be angry. Right? Yeah. And it's that additional judgment that creates all the extra energy that we then have to fight against. And that's what creates the suffering. So self-compassion does not mean that I always am in love with myself because I make mistakes and I have to acknowledge them. But it means that I'm willing to own them. I'm willing to in a gentle way, and hopefully I'm not messing up with your camera too much with doing this, but in a gentle way, I'm able to acknowledge what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling without either judging it or without pushing it away. And this is where the mindfulness tradition has taken off so much in the last 10, 15 years, really. I don't know if that answered your question. or oh, Definitely. Well, how about, okay, how about we go and we, we talk about um, specifically how, any examples of how, you know, people have, have been, there's like been a block in the acceptance, like how they've maybe like paint us a picture of how they started and, you know, the things you did to help them sort of get over that and the, the, you know, basically overcome their adversities and challenges and yeah. mindset, you know, and blockages that you were able to help them with maybe just a, sure, sure a little vignette. Um, so a good example would be anybody who's ever been through a divorce or a breakup knows what I'm talking about with acceptance. You know, we yeah. go in through periods, if you've gone through a hard relationship where there wasn't a bad guy or a good guy, it just didn't work, right? You know what it's like to go to be in resistance. You know, when you try to fix the problem, you try to fix the problem, you try to fix the problem. And then eventually you get to a point where there's so much water under the bridge that you kind of say, okay, I got to let go. I've got to go from here grasping so tightly I've got to go to here. So quick vignette. And uh, I got permission from uh, this particular patient to share this experience, although I'm going to change a few details because I want to respect her confidentiality. Of course. Of course. Um, there was a woman I was uh, working with who had was going through a difficult marriage. Uh, she had three young kids. And uh, she had tried to get her husband involved in marital therapy for years, and he wasn't having anything to do with it. He just simply didn't want to change. And 
she recognized that she had done what she could, but she was at that point where she said to herself, you know, I just can't, I can't imagine myself taking this step of, of perhaps ending the marriage because I've got these three kids. And I, and I went into that and I said, tell me a little bit about what happens inside you when you think about that. And she says, I see myself in a dingy motel with my kids them crying in my arms and saying, mommy, mommy, why did you leave daddy? And I, you know, of course she got teary eyed and I got teary eyed while she's talking about it. It's a very powerful visual image that she was trapped in, in a way. And I said, yes, that would be horrible. You know, acceptance does not mean we like or deserve what's going on in our lives. Let's be very clear about that. I said, yes, that would be very horrible. But it was very clear that this woman was stuck in a moment she couldn't get out of. Okay. Uh, you two had a, had a song a while back, uh, stuck in a moment you can't get out of. And that's, that's the song that kind of rang into my mind because in her mind, that image of her kids in that dingy motel crying and saying, mommy, mommy, why did you leave daddy? She was stuck in that moment. And I, and I sat with her and I said, okay, let's imagine that that moment happens. But what I want you to do now is I want you to fast forward in your mind. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, let's imagine that happens with your kids, but will your kids do that forever? And then she said, no, eventually they'll go to bed that night. And I said, okay, I want you to imagine, let's fast forward in your brain that they fall asleep that night. How's the rest of the night? She says, well, it's still horrible. I say, yeah, it's, it sure would be. Let's fast forward to the next day. You still going to go to your job? She said, yeah. I said, okay, now I want you to imagine you'd go to your job. Would your still kids still go to school? She said, yeah. I said, imagine your kids go to school. What would it be like then? And then we fast forwarded to what would happen in a week. And then what would it be like in two weeks? And what would it be like in three weeks? And she would tell me about all these difficulties she foresaw, like telling extended family how they were getting a divorce and her finding a new place to live and, and her kids still going through periods of time where they had some difficulty with it. And I didn't deny any of that, right? That would have been pushing away. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to honor her pain. And I said, of course, all of that would be very, very difficult. And then I said, and we fast forwarded and fast forwarded until we got to about six months after the dingy motel room. And suddenly, really on her own, she started to smile. And I said, why are you smiling? And she said, because he's out with somebody else and he's no longer my problem. It was as if something shifted inside of her and she was no longer trapped in that moment that she couldn't get out of. She was so stuck here mm -hmm. in this dingy motel room experience that she couldn't get the perspective to say everything. Look, this is what we're guaranteed in life. Death, taxes, and change. Someone very wise once said, no feeling is final. And so we get so stuck in what might happen in the negative place that we get in that we don't recognize that if we can breathe into it and we can accept it with some self-compassion, we are guaranteed that things change. Eventually we get out of the dingy motel room. Eventually the kids stop crying. Eventually we're able to move on in our lives in different ways that we didn't think possible. But our, our brains are not designed that way. Our brains are designed to get stuck in these moments or to push them away with such force that we have to expend so much emotional energy, either pushing away or getting lost, that we end up recreating problems that we don't need to. So that would be an example of where it, and it's, you know, Lance, it's really intuitive when you're sitting with somebody in therapy and they finally get to that moment where they um, are able to take a deep breath in and accept what is it's, it's not resignation. It's not pessimism. It's, it's a resetting that is pretty powerful. And I'm, I'm pretty, um, I'm grateful for the honor of being able to do that with people at times. So that would be an example of, of acceptance and kind of a way through it. So we don't get lost in the moment. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's got to be very rewarding. Um, now I have a question for you now, how, how, cause it's all perspective, right? And it's all, how do you know when somebody should push forward 
or pull back? Because it really all depends, right? I mean, right. it may seem to others that them pushing forward is going to seem wrong or to them, right. right? but it actually might be the right step at progression. But it feels like, you know, how, do, how can you tell, how do you, you know, what, when's the right time to pull back? When's the right time to push back? What are the signs and, you know, how do people deal with that on a day-to-day basis? Well, here's an acronym that I use. Think of the, uh, the letters POW. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now each letter in every acronym stands for something. P stands for principles. Okay. Your higher values, mm-hmm. okay? who you want to be when you depart this life. I'm not saying who you think you are. Who do you want to be? That's your higher principle. Okay. Mm-hmm. The O stands for long-term outcomes. O for outcomes. What will happen if I do X, Y, and Z in the long run, not the short run. Because me eating ice cream in the short run works out great, right? Right, yeah. And the W stands for what works. You know, a lot of times we get so caught up in what is being right that we don't do what works. So the criteria that I, I try to use with my patients is when they're on the cusp of either doing something or not doing something, what I want them to do is I want them to pause and to get in contact with their POWs. I want them to find their POWs. I want them to find their higher principles. I want them to think about what are the long-term outcomes. I want them to think about, okay, am I just trying to be right or am I doing what works, Mm. right? Because if you can, and and think of it this way, the POWs are like a three-legged stool, okay? Yeah. A three-legged, a two-legged stool just over, right? You have to have all three legs, And so I'm not going to tell my patients what they should or should not do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sit with them. I'm going to say, all right, you're about to do X behavior. All right, if you do X behavior, how is that going to affect your principles in the long run? How is that going to affect long-term outcomes? And how is that going to affect what works? Let's not just try to be right because that's often an issue of pride. Let's think about what's going to work. So using that shorthand of POW is a nice way of capturing that information so that we can be thinking about uh, what might happen in the long run. And, and, and it's really not up to me to determine what somebody else's principles should be. But the problem is, is we don't consider our POWs when we're about to go binge at Krispy Kreme or when we're about to go get drunk or we're about to go some, say something spiteful on Facebook or things like that. We don't, we, we don't want to think about it. In fact, you can tell how much somebody's about to suffer by how much they don't want to think about their POWs. Yeah. Very interesting. I love this stuff. It's, it's, I love hearing different perspectives on, on, on these things because everybody's going through these things and it's just so it's, it's awesome to hear little steps to kind of break it down and sort of make it simple because that's what we need is just simple, right. You know, to kind of get perspective now. Um, how but one thing I should probably say to you, Lance, yeah. is, you know, the POW stuff, I can't take credit for that. I mean, this is, this is where the, the religious wisdom and traditions you know, if you really look across Christianity and Judaism and, and Buddhism and all these other things that we think are so different, you'll find this kind of language. Yeah. I mean, they just use different terms to, to, to discuss the same thing. But there's a reason why these religious traditions have been with us for so long. And we get so caught up in the device, divisiveness of yeah. our modern day culture. And, and there are so many different uh, things. I mean, we could spend time talking about Facebook or things along those lines that create kind of this divisiveness. But I, I can't totally take credit because I think this is where a lot of the, of the wisdom uh, through millennia has, has, has come in. Well, and every, a lot of people take things so literally as well. Like yeah. what it says is exactly what it is. And it's, it's not. There's, there's, yeah. there's, it's more to that. And that's what I love is like more people are talking about these kind of things. And there's a lot of similarities in these kind of things. So I wanted to take it now to like you were talking about. Um, I want to go into more of like your state and your higher self. Like, do you have, do you practice stuff connecting to your higher self, like meditation? Do you have fundamentals like that for people practicing gratitude? You know, because I know a lot of times, me personally, I can only speak for myself, is that I can take on and look at a situation completely different, all depending on my state. Yeah. You know? 
Did I exercise? Did I eat right? Am I, did I, you know, there's all these factors. Did I meditate? Do I feel calm? Did I practice yeah. gratitude? And how I take on the same problem that day than I did if say I had, I was hung over. It's a yeah. completely different <laughs> It's totally different, isn't it? Right? So yeah. how, how do you, how do you take those sort of connecting to your higher self sort of style of, of, of hacks and add that into that sort of coaching people through their, their problems and stuff like that? Well, I want to, I want to answer, that's a great question. I want to answer it in two parts if I could. Um, first part is to talk about the self and what do we mean by the self? Okay. Yeah. And I think this goes back to Buddhism and, and some of those traditions. And then the second thing I think is a nice segue into mindfulness and meditation and, and how it can be helpful. Um, I talk a little bit about this in the book. Um, you're absolutely right in what you said before about the self. Um, you know, I'll use an example from my life. Let's say somebody comes up to me and let's say I've had a really good day with patients and I really am clicking with them and I'm, I'm driving home on Monday afternoon and some random person comes up to me and says, Hey, who is Brian Bushman? You know, and, and I'm feeling philosophical and I play along and I say, well, he's a pretty good guy. He tries to help out, tries to do what he can. Okay. And they say, thank you very much. They disappear. Well, that night let's pretend that just out of luck of the draw, I just eat something bad. And my stomach is upset. And because I'm kind of cranky, I have a little bit of a fight with my wife and uh, one, you know, verbal argument. I don't, nothing like that, but uh, it, it, it escalates. And I end up, you know, sleeping that night on the couch and my couch isn't very comfortable. And that next morning I wake up and I've only gotten a couple hours of sleep. And then I go and I see patients and it turns out that I'm just not as sharp. And, and now it's five o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, 24 hours after somebody asked me, what kind of guy is Brian Bushman? And they come up to me and they say, who, who is Brian Bushman? They ask me the same question. I'm likely to look at them and say, oh, he's kind of a hypocrite. Now, how did that happen? How did I go within 24 hours from going to being this good guy to being a hypocrite? Well, this is where we get at the illusion of the self. Who you think you are at any given moment is based very largely on what you're currently experiencing. Whether or not you slept well the night before, whether or not you have indigestion, whether or not you, you're hungover, whether or not you just had a good uh, couple of sessions with patients. So we get so fused is the word I use. We get so fused with this concept of self without realizing that the self is largely illusory. There, it, it, there's, there's not much there there. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't get in contact with our higher principles. And by higher principles, I mean, you know, I'm going to die. And eventually, I want people at my funeral to remember me in certain ways. You know, even if, let's say it's that Tuesday afternoon, Lance, and I'm going home, right? And uh, I'm feeling like hypocrite, Brian. That's my sense of self at that moment, right? But even though at that moment, I feel like a hypocrite, I'm not the person I want to be, I can still get in touch with my higher principles. I can still, even though I'm having a bad day, get in touch and connect with a higher sense of self and say, what can I do right now that would be consistent with the person I want to be, even if the person I believe I am at the moment is a complete hypocrite. I can do that. That means this is what's exciting to me is that I can go and I can live my principles even if I'm having a bad hair day or in my case, uh, losing my hair day, right? <laughs> or if I'm having a day when I didn't sleep well or something like that, I can connect with my higher principles. And every moment is that gift, that opportunity to connect with my higher principles. Now, the second part of the, of the question was about mindfulness. And I do believe that mindfulness is – the reason why mindfulness, I think, has taken off so much is, first of all, mindfulness is not relaxation. It really irritates me when – well, irritate is too strong a word, but it concerns me when I go through some mindfulness and relaxation type things with patients and, and, and they come back to the next session and, and I say, well, how did the mindfulness go? And I usually give them like a, a, a audio recording of us doing the mindfulness and they say, oh, it was great. I listened to it right before I went to sleep. It relaxed me and put me right out. And, and the reason why I'm concerned about that, although I do want them to sleep and, and there is something to be said for relaxation is the purpose of mindfulness is not unconsciousness. It's not black. It's not numbness. The purpose of mindfulness is awareness. It's being able to get in touch with what we're feeling without going to hear fusion mm -hmm. or without going to hear avoidance. 
-hmm. Mindfulness is about being able to accept what is there and being able to breathe into it without doing either one of those things in something that I like to call compassionate diffusion, which is an ability to be able to notice what's going on at the moment and being able to get in touch with something higher than ourselves without getting pulled into this false sense of self that we feel so, um, we want to protect. We want to protect the self because we feel like if we lose that sense of self, if I'm not that guy, then somehow I'm annihilated. That's not true. Is that can, the ego? You, that's the ego we're talking about, right? That's, that's, that's a big part of the ego that we're talking about. And people yeah. will do all kinds of crazy stuff. Forgive me for using that term. That sounds kind of judgy well, and pejorative. Of that's me. all right. That's yeah, right. but, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, we'll we'll do all kinds of things because we want to defend who we think we are. Yeah. Right? We, we think we, we put ourselves in boxes. What's that? We put ourselves in these boxes and labels. Yeah. It's like we're yeah. this person. It's, we're this. It's like. Right. Right. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually just started an audio book, um, Eckhart Tolle, uh, A New Earth. And he just talks about how, because I read one of his books back in the day, The Power of Now, which kind of kind of made me think about being present. Oh, and, cool. And I, I never really understood what that even meant, right? But once I started. Right. But now I'm listening to this book and he just talks about how we, we, we put ourselves in these boxes and, you know, we don't accept people are just so they're always trying to be what, depending on their ego, depending on what they want to relate themselves to that day. It's, yeah. Um, and, and you know, the scary thing is, is that who, who I, this is sometimes what I tell my patients, um, who you think you are at any given moment is, is kind of a myth. It, it's based largely on kind of what happened in the year or two before. So trying to cling really tightly to my old sense of self is, is a great way to create suffering because then I'm not going to allow any other kind of new experiences in my life because it may violate kind of this old concept of myself. You know, I can still have my principles though. I can still believe in kindness. I can still believe in compassion. I can still believe in these things and I can still head towards them even if um, I'm not able to complete my goals. It, one of my, one of my friends, he wants, uh, there was something that he said to me that I, I never forget. And I wish I could take credit for this, but I can't. Um, he said the key to life is to being, is to be engaged, but not attached. Wow. I love it. Don't you love that? Yeah. I, I wish I could take credit for that. I can't, it, it, you know, it, I get so attached. My ego gets so attached in whether or not my clients are doing well or whether or not yeah. you like my book or whether or not this podcast is going well or something like that. Yeah. And I get so attached that it prevents me from being engaged. It, it, it prevents me from being here with you Yeah, because I'm so busy trying to project an image yeah. that I, that feels so important to me at that moment. But in the end, maybe it's not quite as important as I think it is. Yeah. And it's like that with goals too. I think yeah. if people get so, so caught up on this goal and so attached to it that they forget about the everyday fundamentals yeah. that need to happen. Cause yeah. you don't do those everyday present moment fundamentals that are yeah. right in front of you. Yeah. Don't even yeah. worry about the end goal because it's not going to happen. Right. It's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. We well, get so stressed about that, but then we, we don't we do. realize what's happening. Well, I think that, I think one of the things that we get so stressed about is we confuse goals with principles. Yeah. Okay. They're not the same thing. Uh, let me give you an, a quick example, if that's sure. okay. Yeah. No, dive right, into so this, that. That's interesting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. See, okay. Like, uh, there was a, another woman that I was working with who, uh, came in and she was, uh, I, I always start with my patients the same way I ask them what they want to get out of therapy. Cause I want, I want to make sure I'm giving them what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And, and she said, my goal is to save my marriage. This was a different woman than the one that I mentioned before. And I said, okay, well, um, why do you want to save your marriage? And she looked at me like, what kind of question is that? That's kind of a dumb question. Of course I want to, everybody wants to save their marriage. And I said, well, just, uh, just patronize me for a second. Why is saving your marriage important to you? And she started thinking about it, really reflecting on it. And she said, well, I think it's because I want to give my kids 
an environment that I didn't have growing up because she recounted how when she was younger, she had gone through such difficulty with her own parents. Um, she wanted to give her, her kids a, se- a sense of security and safety, right? Mm. And I said, okay, so let me be clear. Your goal is to save your marriage, but your principle is to provide your kids with a sense of security and safety, right? Mm. And she said, yeah, you know, because she didn't quite understand the difference. But the difference became pretty obvious in about six months, even though this woman had really, really worked hard and she had really tried her husband still filed for a divorce. Um, there was too much water under the bridge for him. He, she just came home one day and he was, he was gone. Mm. So she comes into therapy and she's mad, uh, mad at me because didn't I, my goal was to save my marriage and, and why did I did all this work and it didn't work. And, and she really let me have it. And I totally acknowledged her pain because it was legitimate and it was very real And then she started talking to me about how, well, if he ever thinks he's going to see his kids again, he's got another thing coming. And she was talking about how she was going to lawyer up and everything else like that. And I said to her, well, what would happen to your principal? Your goal is gone. But what about the principal? And she said, what are you talking about? I said, well, your principal, though, was to provide your children with a sense of security, a sense of safety. If you lawyer up, what happens to that principle? The goal is gone. Mm. Your marriage is gone. And it, it, that is sad. And you have every right to feel the way you do about that. I'm not going to tell patients how to feel about something. They already do that to themselves enough. But there's a difference between our goals and our principles. Because the principle, if you want to provide your kids with a sense of security and attachment, you got to think of your POWs. Mm. Your principle is that you want to provide your kids with a sense of safety. And what would happen to that principle if you confuse the goal and the principle? What would be the long-term outcome? What would work? Because you can still provide your kids a sense of safety, of security, of attachment, even if the goal falls apart. And, and so often, and I'm speaking very much to myself here, I get so attached to my goals so attached to my goals that, that when they don't work, it's like my ego has been bruised and then I get spiteful and vindictive and my principles cease to exist. Hmm. And, and what you can do is you could head towards your principles. You know, there's a, there's a group, a psychotherapy called ACT. It stands for acceptance and commitment therapy. And in ACT, they say a lot that you can head towards your principles, even if your goals don't work out. And I think a lot of times we get those two things confused and that's what prevents us from really, we get so attached to our goals that we don't engage with our principles. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I like that perspective. Very interesting stuff. Um, This is the kind of stuff, I mean, you could, there's, you could talk all day about, I I find it so fascinating. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's great stuff. I'm really privileged to do what I get to do. Yeah, Um, for sure. But I, but I think just to, to make sure that people are clear, I think it's important that we understand that acceptance does not mean you like what happened to you, much less that you deserve what happened to you. Acceptance just means that you're able to acknowledge it in a compassionate way and being able to connect into your higher principles so that you don't repeat patterns of suffering. And what I attempt to do in the book Uh, The first half of the book, it took me about eight years to write it because I was integrating a lot of information from neurobiology and from uh, these different uh, theoretical orientations. I was trying to find the commonalities. But the first half of the book talks about how we get caught up in this suffering thing. But then the second half really kind of focuses on how do you develop this kind of acceptance. And it's not easy for people to do because some people are born in what we call invalidating environments where they were basically told not to feel something or not to experience something. And so very naturally on their own, as soon as they feel angry, let's say, because that's a, that's a good example. As soon as they feel angry, they push it away and they say, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Until suddenly they are not fine. I got it. Yeah. Got it. In psychology, you know, in physics, we talk about how every action has an equal and opposite reaction psychology, there's, there's an equivalent. The, the more I push away something and say, I can't, I can't have you, 
the more eventually it's going to rebound and I'm going to get stuck in it. Right. And soon I'm going to go back and forth, right? Push, pull, push, pull, push, pull. And so sometimes people come into me saying that they think that they're bipolar disordered when really they just don't know how to find that middle balance, that Um, acceptance place. Would you say that that goes into like the more you focus on something, the more that's going to come into your life, right? Well, I mean, it could be some part of that, but I want to be careful here not to allude to things like the secret where yeah. like the more you spend time thinking about it, somehow it sends out brain waves into the universe that'll make that happen. And only, mm-hmm. and I, and I'm being cautious here because I've had some patients that have read that kind of material. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, one of the downsides of that is then if a woman is, let's say sexually assaulted, um, she somehow believes that if, well, it's because I thought about possibly being sexually assaulted and somehow that's the universe mm. giving me what I thought about. So I want to be very clear that that's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about being able to compassionately diffuse from pain and being able to reconnect with something higher than ourselves so that we can take steps in a gentle, graduated way and we can undo paths of suffering that may not be our fault, but they are our job. You know, there's a lot of times where bad things have really happened to some wonderful people that I really respect a lot, but we got to own those type of things. And so I just want to be clear about when we talk about focusing, because sometimes people think, well, well, I don't want, I don't want to think about it. Right. And then that leads you into that avoidance path of suffering mm-hmm. um, that can, I think, sometimes rebound back into being very fused. So I'm, I'm hopeful that the book is look, if, if only, look, if I've spent eight years writing this and there's only about 100 people that read that and able to find your balance in life, then it'll be worth it because that's what I'm trying to do with myself so often is, is find that balance. And I'm going to have to do that till the day I die, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. No, great. Yeah. I, um, I want to check out your book. What, so where can everybody find you? Let's, uh, let's, sure. let's, let's, uh, give you, let's do the plug. Yeah. Let's plug you. There. <laughs> I appreciate. I, I want everybody to check out your book, check out where we can find you and you know, whatever else you have to offer. The, the, the easiest way to do it is to go on my website, uh, com. D R B R Y A N dot com, And on the main website, there is a, uh, you can just go to Amazon and you can find the book. Uh, if you want to go to Amazon, you can also put becoming okay, uh, in there. And in parentheses, it says when you're not okay. Um, you can also find it through Amazon like that. And if, if, if people are interested, I would encourage them to do what I do when I go to a bookstore. Cause I'm, I'm kind of like a book junkie. I'm reading all the time. I go into like a, a bookstore and I'll read like the first, first and second chapter basically. And that's what people can do. They can go online and they can go on to Amazon and they can read the first, the introduction, the first chapter and uh, like part of the second chapter just to see if it's right for them. Um, on Kindle, it's uh, it's like five bucks. And if you want the physical copy, it's like uh, 12 or 13 bucks. So, I mean, it's, it's not very uh, expensive, but th- that's probably one of the best ways that people can do it. Um, and also on my blog, which is uh, www.findingyourwaytook.wordpress.com, uh, finding your way to, two is the number two, and then OK, O-K-A-Y, uh, finding your way to okay.com that has a couple of other writings on there too. If people are just wanting to, to see other stuff that I've written and see if I'm the right author for them. Um, those are a couple of different things that people can do to kind of feel it out. I awesome. Guess. We'll, we'll have that in the show notes as well. I just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so we're getting close to the end here and I okay. like to ask always one, one tip that you can give the listeners to overcome adversity, overcome struggle, pain, the one thing that they could apply in their life today that would go on to basically overcome any adversity that they've faced. I think to acknowledge your pain, recognize that your pain is not something that you deserve 
and it's not something you have to like, but you can acknowledge it and you can give up the struggle with it. Here's, here's the irony of life. I, I believe at least if you can become okay with not being okay, eventually you'll be okay. I know that sounds stupid, but it's true. If you no. can become okay with not being okay, eventually you'll be okay because things change. But if you're not okay with not being okay, you won't be okay because what you'll do is you'll do something impulsive to shoot yourself in the butt. Yeah. And then you have to play the rest of your life playing cleanup. So I think your pain is not your fault. It doesn't mean that you are unworthy. It doesn't mean you have to like it. But to be able to, with some self-compassion, be able to say, hey, this is where I am right now then it can free you up that mental energy so you can, you can use it in a more constructive way. And that's what we're all just trying to do. That's what we're all just trying to do. So be gentle with yourself when you're doing it. For sure. And, you know, uh, so basically be able to accept it, you know, don't resist it. And accepting it is like the first thing, right? To really. Yeah. But just make sure you don't think acceptance means, Hey, get over it. Yeah. No, that's kind of what we think of with acceptance. and, And that's really not what we're talking about here. No, for sure. And I, I think you, you did a good job at explaining that. And I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It was uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I could talk about this stuff all day, but you know, we, I got to respect your time. No, no, no. That's thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. You're the last show of 2018. So it's, hey, all uh, right. Yeah. Cool. It's, it's going to be, uh, it's good. So this is, I'm, I'm it's really happy to wrap up with this one and uh, it was a pleasure chatting. Thank and, you so much. Yeah, and all the all the information is going to be in the show notes. So um, check them out, Dr. Brian Bushman. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got some value from that. Without you guys, this isn't possible. So I really, really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode and got value from it, go ahead and rate it, review it, hit that subscribe button. We want to get this to as many people as possible. We want this thing to grow. So go ahead, rate, review, subscribe. And I can't wait for the next episode. Thank you so much. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.